0: Where'd everybody go? <laughs> Our scripture reading today comes from Second uh, Peter chapter 2, verses 20 through 21. Peter writes this, But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Would you pray with me now, please? Lord, we really are a tremendously blessed people. Um, Those who know you, Lord, We have a God that has sought us out and has loved us even before the world was created. And you are the one who spoke these worlds into existence and you still speak today. And as we come here today, we're asking that you would speak to us uh, through your word and that we'd hear that voice. And I pray, Father, that as we hear you speak, that we would embrace your word and that we would set out to put it into practice in our own life. We readily confess to you, Lord, that um, many of the things that you call us to do are really beyond our ability. Um, We can't do them in our own strength. But that's okay because you haven't left us to yourself, to ourselves, but Rather, you have given us your spirit who lives in us and who enables us to live the life you've called us to. Father, thank you for all that you have done for each one of us here today. Thank you that Jesus took our sins away. Thank you that he's coming again and thank you for what you will do in our lives in the days to come and we offer you this time and ourselves in the, in his most wonderful name the name of Jesus our lord and savior amen so it's uh it's no secret although that can just barely be said for there are those in high places who would keep it a secret, but they cannot. Uh, not quite yet they cannot. Uh, so it is no secret that there are believers in our nation who are being persecuted for their faith. Uh, not to the degree of our brothers and sisters uh, in other parts of the world are experience. You understand that, at least not yet, but it is here just this past week, uh, the Little Sisters of the Poor, as a Catholic charity, was told by a federal judge that they had to provide uh, both abortion and birth control for its employees, no matter what their religious beliefs were. So they will be forced to close their doors, as many of those charities have, or to dissipate and then pay exorbitant fines. And that's really just one of literally hundreds of things like that happening around our nation in state after state. In fact, in light of the attacks on religious freedom, uh, which are regularly occurring here in America, Cardinal O'Brien of Baltimore made this statement fairly recently. He said, I will die in my bed, my successor will die in prison, and his successor will die in the street. Now that's an ominous prediction that has come at least partly true since the cardinal did indeed die in his bed. Of course, no one but the Lord really knows where all of this will lead, but he could be right. The persecution of believers here in our nation may continue and it may indeed intensify. There was one other thing that the Cardinal added to his remark. He said after he's the successor who would die in the streets, he said the next one in line, the next successor that would come would pick up the broken pieces of civilization and begin rebuilding it as the church always has, so he said. And and there's truth in that thought. You see, Jesus said that the gates of hell will not be able to stand against his people. The church has always marched forward no matter what is happening in the world around us. But there is coming a day when that will not happen. It won't be the church which begins to try to set things right, but rather it will be Jesus Christ himself who will return and will set up his unending kingdom and he will make all things as they should be. And that will happen at the end of the end times. The end times has been our subject these last many months as we've been looking at uh, the book of the Revelation And it's going to be our subject today as we continue our study. So I'd like to invite you to join me once again in the last book of the Bible, Revelation. We're going to look at chapter 13, actually the first half of chapter 13 today. And uh, if you join me there, otherwise we'll try to get the slides up on the screen so you can see it there. I'm going to tell you, chapter 12 and 13 and 14 form a kind of a centerpiece of the book. The events that follow those three chapters are almost a non-stop judgment upon the wicked of the world until the coming of the new Jerusalem. And here we are given a a glimpse of the inner workings, these three chapters are the inner workings of evil, but also of God's response to it. Chapter 13 tells us of two main players in the end time who are on the side of evil. Indeed, of them, the term really could be applied, they are evil incarnate. The first ten verses of the chapter tell us of the Antichrist, a fairly familiar figure even in the secular world, at least people know the name, And, and much has been written about him. The second half of the chapter deals with uh, 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 the false prophet who's a bit more of a mysterious figure but who also is one who has sold himself completely to do evil. This morning we're going to look at that first half of the chapter and we'll see what it has to tell us about the Antichrist. And so we begin our reading in verse 1. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea. Now we met the dragon in the last chapter. He, he's a symbolic representation of Satan. And although the dragon is merely a symbol, it represents a real being who really is the age-old enemy of God and everything that is good, who led our first parents into sin and who has been the accuser of our brothers and sisters ever since that time. Right now, he is at war in the heavenly realms, and we looked at that last week. But this passage that we're looking at today pictures the time when Satan is finally cast out of heaven and hurled to the earth, and he turns his full attention to persecuting the people of God. We continue reading. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea, It had ten horns and seven heads with ten crowns on its horns and and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of the lion. So so this beast rising out of the sea is a symbolic representation of a man who will at some point in history arise and who will be the Antichrist. Now there's parts of the leopard and bear and lion and the horns have all been talked about in the book of Daniel, which you can read for yourself at a later time. But here they've been changed somewhat to fit the flow of the vision that John is having. And that description, as with the description of Satan in the last chapter, points to something that is absolutely hideous, but yet with great power to do evil. And the fact that he had seven heads and ten horns and ten crowns, that's identical in the description to the dragon, that is to Satan. And so the text is telling us, his vision is showing us that the Antichrist is at heart like Satan. And those blasphemous, blasphemous names that are on each of the head tell us that he is utterly godless and he is un godly. Now I want you to know that blasphemy doesn't mean cursing or using foul language, although it might accompany blasphemy. Rather, it really means doing anything that desecrates the divine name or violates his glory or dignity. That's what the Antichrist does. Now This beast that we see here in this picture, he arises out of the sea. And I want us to understand what that really means. You see, the sea is often a symbol of chaos that's caused by evil. And this beast arises out of this chaos. And so what we have pictured here uh, for us is that there's a time coming, yet in the future, a time of great chaos caused by evil, out of which will arise a man, likely one among many, who will come to the top, who will be the Antichrist. He will be at heart like Satan, and he will be godless and he will be ungodly. Oh, one more thing to note about this vision here is that the dragon or Satan is standing on the shore of the sea. See, he's calling this beast to himself. He's responsible for the chaos from which he comes. And he's waiting for whoever it is who will come, who will show up. You see, Satan is not God, nor can he be everywhere, nor is he all-powerful so that he can make all of his plans come to fruition. It really is doubtful that he could plan something so elaborate as what is unfolding here. He merely causes the conditions which bring about people like the Antichrist, and eventually someone rises to the top. You know, history is full of examples like that, aren't it? I mean, the Stalins, the Hitlers, the Pol Potts, the Kims, the Neros, the Domitians. The scriptures teach us that there are many antichrists. That's why the Revelation, the book of the Revelation, is spoken to the hearts of people down through the ages. But a time is coming when the antichrist will come. And when he comes, he will be hideous and powerful, godless and ungodly, arising out of the chaos of evil, which his master Satan causes. And when Satan discovers him, He will adopt him, and he'll put him to his own purposes. So at the end of verse 2, we read this. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. Already he's a, a world figure, but Satan further empowers him, and he propels him to great prominence in the world. He really will be more powerful than any other merely human figure who has ever lived And then, the scriptures tell us something that happens to this man which has no real precedent in human history and which sets the Antichrist, and this is with the capital A, apart from all of the other Antichrists, with the little a, it tells us when this thing happens that we're dealing with the epitome of evil itself. You see, he is wounded fatally to death. And yet he survives. We read in verse 3, One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. Now, I I don't want us to misunderstand what's being said here. You see, the English says the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but that's exactly the same language that's used of the Lamb of God when he's described in chapter 5. And we know that he did indeed die and come to life again. This really could be a miraculous recovery, but it would be, in this case, a miracle of evil brought about by Satan himself. And we know uh, from later on in this chapter that there's a time in history that is coming when evil, that is Satan, will be able to do great signs and wonders. So we better not be surprised if it happens. It's still possible, however, that this is somehow a contrived event, but even if it is, it'll take in the whole world. Everyone will be fooled, and that's what the rest of verse 3 tells us. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. Satan empowers him, propels him to the top of the world and in some manner causes him to survive a fatal wound and everyone is amazed at this man who is the antichrist and the world is so enamored of him that verse 4 tells us the result of all that people worship the dragon because he had given authority to the beast and they they also worshiped the beast and asked who it's like the beast who can wage war against him. And being enamored of his power, or of fame, or, or money, or beauty, or anything else other than God Almighty, being enamored of that kind of stuff, left unchecked, leads to worship. And worship of anything less than God really is idolatry. And ultimately, it is the worship of Satan. Now again, this kind of thing has happened throughout, history. So many times that I really would, shouldn't even need to name any of those things. Not the miraculous healing part. No, that's only going to happen once. But that coat of the leader. Many men in such positions have demanded worship. Uh, they might not call it that, though some even have done that and demanded literal worship. But what they want from their followers is really nothing less than that. But they didn't always even have to demand it. Many gave it to them freely simply because they had been overcome by their charisma. Now, I have to tell you, we better not think that we're too sophisticated for all of that. And if you think so, I want to point out something in our recent history. I'm going to say this really clearly. I want you to hear me when I say this. I am not implying that our current president is of the devil. But let me remind you that in 2008 people were fainting when they heard him speak. Fainting because of ecstasy. The so-called Impartial journalists were making statements like, I felt a thrill running up my leg and covering my whole body when I heard him speak. And others were claiming that he had the highest IQ of any man that had ever held that office even though they didn't know what his IQ was. I mean, the guy was given a Nobel Prize for what he was going to do before he had ever done anything either good or evil. So let's not pretend that we're too smart for stuff like that. We're not. No generation ever has been or will be. Any of us could fall prey to that kind of thing. Any generation, I should say. But all of that, that's his power, the authority, the fame, the healing, the worship, all of that, in a sense, goes to the Antichrist's head. But even more importantly, what it does is it, it reveals who the Antichrist really is in verses 5 and 6. Listen to what it says. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and, and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place in all who live in heaven. I have to tell you, the Bible tells us a truth about people that we really ought to pay attention to, but it's really also a truth about any sentient uh, being. And that is this. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's inside of the Antichrist is seen in what he says. Just as what's inside of us, you and I, comes out in the things that we talk about all the time. He will be, the Antichrist, will be full of himself. The text says he speaks proud words. It's all about him. See, everything else in his thinking it is only seen as it relates to him. He'll hate God. He speaks blasphemies and he blasphemes God himself, not able to hide his hatred. He, he'll hate everything that's good, everything connected with God. He will slander God's name, his home, heaven itself, his people, his animosity against God boils over in every realm where there is any good at all. That's who the Antichrist is at heart, who he really, really is. He's like Satan. And he's proud, and he's godless, and he's ungodly. Now, there was a phrase in verse 5 that we need to look at a little bit more closely. And in verse 5, we're told something. We're told that the beast or the Antichrist was given. See, he was given a mouth to utter proud and blasphemous words. And the key to understanding that, uh, what that means is in the line where it says that he will uh, have his authority, to exercise for 42 months. That is, there's going to be a limit uh, set on just how long he can do the things that he's doing. And the one who sets that limit is God himself. You see, God gives this mouth to the Antichrist, this speech that says such things, meaning that God allows all of that to happen. In fact, In a sense, it has to come out of the Antichrist because he has to speak what's inside of him. But it's God who is permitting those things even to exist. And it's God who's permitting or allowing those things to be spoken. But he's putting a limit on it. He's he's setting a time when that will end. And clearly, that's not something Satan would do. Satan inspires the pride and the blasphemy. He relishes the hate-filled heart of the Antichrist. But it's God who puts a limit on him. Now, we're going to talk about why God allows this to happen in just a little while. But first, I want us to see... What else God will allow the Antichrist to do when he's here in verse 7? It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. At no other time in human history has anyone had the reach and scope of power as that end-time Antichrist will have. Uh, at all other times, every other Antichrist there's ever been were constrained. There were people who stood opposed to him. This man's authority will be worldwide. And he'll use that authority to attack and kill the people of God. And he will have 42 months, three and a half years, 1,260 days to carry out his wickedness before God puts a stop to it. And this is terribly dreary and dark and damnable. And the beginning of verse 8 adds to that gloom when it says, All of the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. Anyone who has ever been on the outside of something looking in can identify, at least to some extent, with the weight of futility and the cruelty of the click and even the sorrow at feeling excluded, even when we know what's inside is nothing at all. And we can somewhat identify with the way believers of that day will feel, but you have to multiply your experiences in that realm by 10,000 times because the entire world will be following that devil. And, and we we would be standing on the outside looking in dreary and dark and damnable those days being the beginning of end as we said as to the gloom but the first doesn't stop there thank god it doesn't stop there and now we really come to a, a kind of a, a turning point in this story and, and it really is the central point in the book of the revelation I'm going to read the whole verse to you and listen to what it says. All the inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. All whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. You see, all the world is going to go after the Antichrist. They're all going to be taken in, but not the believers, not those who belong to Jesus Christ. The gospel records for us that Jesus said that even the elect would be fooled in in those days if it were possible, but it's not. It is not possible. Not because we're particularly smart or clever or discerning or even good people, but because we belong to Jesus Christ. See, we we put our faith in Him. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and He will never blot those out. And the Lamb was slain for us. He's not going to lose us to the Antichrist, Verse 9 draws our attention in that truth. It says this, Whoever has ears, let him hear. That's the same phrase that Jesus used when he walked here on this earth. He was inviting people to come and to understand what he was saying. It's the same phrase used in the end of every one of the seven letters to the seven churches. Again, inviting believers to hear, to understand, to accept what the Spirit was saying to them. And here, in the in the middle of, this book. At the end of times, wedged between the description of the Antichrist and the false prophets, at the time and place where Satan is doing his worst to God's people, we're told to hear and to understand and to accept that we belong to Jesus Christ. That our names are written in his book. The book of life. And we will not be deceived. We will not be deceived. And so, we will stand. But there's a cost to that. There's a price that we have to be willing to pay if we belong to Jesus Christ. And verse 10 tells us, What that is, although the passage goes on, tells us even more, but verse 10 tells us enough. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity let go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. Now some of your translations may say something like this. The one who leads into captivity will go into captivity, and the one who kills with the sword will be killed by the sword. But whichever translation you have, and I prefer the NIV and NAS here, the long and the short of it is that believers are going to experience both of those things. That's why we have to patiently endure and remain faithful. We are patient and we endure and we will remain faithful because we belong to God. Does that come home? Because we belong to him, we're not going to be deceived and we'll stand. Now don't misunderstand me. It's not going to be easy. Those who have have faced such things in the past and those who are facing them in our day and those who will face them then won't find it easy. But they find God right there with them, giving them the strength they need and they're the only ones who will be able to resist. Everyone else has gone after or is going after the Antichrist. This really is a drama that's unfolding, and that fear of reprisal will keep them right where they are. Now that's what's going on uh, here, and that's what it's going to be like in the days of the Antichrist. But as we noted, the Scriptures teach us there have been many Antichrists, even those in our world today. And there really are believers all over the world today who are suffering the things like we have just read about in verse 10. Now, I've said this before, but I can say it again because it applies here. The 20th century, that's the century we just left, right? We're 15 years into the 21st century. The 20th century, there were more people who died for the faith than in the previous 19 centuries combined. And this century is on pace not only to keep up with that, but to pass it. So we don't have to wait for the Antichrist, the Antichrist, to show up. We don't have to wait for the great tribulation. Tribulation is happening all around us. And we don't know what's going to happen here. Now, there's something else I want us to note about this passage that we're we looking at. And, and, and it's this. When you, when you read this passage here, just these first ten verses, you really get this kind of an idea that there's this, almost like a crystallization going on. It's this idea that people are either becoming good or they're becoming completely bad. It's one or the other. And, and what's happening here? really is happening around us every single day. But here, because of the presence of the Antichrist and the persecution, people are being forced into that, and it's happening so much more quickly. But it happens every single day around you. That's why it's so important for us as believers to get it in our hearts and in our minds that today is a day of salvation. Those people you want to share your faith with. And we keep putting it off. Well, maybe it's not just the right time. Every single day, some turn occurs in their heart or soul that either makes them more open or less open to the gospel. And we belong to God. And the evil one cannot touch us. Not really, not forever. He might put us to death, he might put us into prison, but we belong to the living God. And we have a message that people need to hear.
1: So why does God allow
0: these things to happen in the lives of the believers? Well, I, I know if you've walked with Christ at any time at all, if you've read the Scriptures, there, there are a lot of reasons that I know that you could you could come up, you could share with me, you could tell me. Well, these are some of the reasons that it happens. But but one of them is that that all that's happening here in these three chapters is happening during the time of the sounding of the trumpets. Now, if you haven't been there, maybe you don't realize it. Maybe I've never made it clear enough. But, but those trumpets are being sounded to get people's attention. People who are on the outside of the faith. Those trumpets are sounded not to bring punishment on them, but to have things that happen that turn their hearts, their minds, their thoughts to the living God. It's a wake-up call for people. And we're in the midst of that because we're the ones that have the good news. We're the ones that can show them the way. We're the ones who are like Jesus in our day and time. We're the ones who can show them if they need to how to die. That's one of the reasons the other is pretty clear from the text, but let me just put it this way. You see, if you, if you stand for the truth, if, if you will stand for the truth, then you have to endure whatever evil can throw it. I'm a Christian. Not because it makes me feel good. I'm a Christian because I believe it's true. With all of my heart, I believe that Jesus Christ came to this world and he died on that cross to pay for my sins and your sins and everybody out there. And when Satan has done everything that he can do, if we know Jesus Christ, we will stand. And when he has done all that he can do to us, we will stand. Would you pray with me, please? Father, I know it talks about a time in the future. None of us here know exactly how close that time is. But every one of us here ought to know that the world we live in can change in the blink of an eye. And what we see happening in other parts of our world could begin happening here. But we also need to know and you are bigger than anything that we will ever face and once we put our faith in you you got us thank you in Jesus name
1: <clears throat> let's stand in worship one more time <laughs> Lord, you have my heart, and I will search for yours. Jesus, take my life and lead me on. Lord, you have my heart, and I will search for yours. Let me be to you as I. Re revive Thank you again for coming to worship at Y Bible. Have a great week.